Oh, God is good. He is. My main scriptures are going to be out of the Gospel of John chapter 1. We will end up there. You know, in the second chapter of Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then he goes on to say, I don't frustrate the grace of God because if righteousness could have been obtained by the law or through works, then Christ died for nothing. He died in vain, the Scripture says. Because righteousness can't be attained through our works. What I want you to see is that the Apostle Paul said that I am crucified with Christ, meaning death. Because he says, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And it says in Romans chapter 6, it says that we've been buried with Christ through baptism. The old man is dead. Now, can you resurrect the old man who died? Thank you. Val and Fred, I'm looking for a reaction. <laughs> yeah. I know Val was going to stand up and say something. If, if I would have went opposite, she would have. I've seen it in her face. <laughs> Thank you, Val. <laughs> Amen. But no, you can't. You can't resurrect that old man who has died. That old man is dead. If you believe that you can, then what happens in your mind is you picture yourself feeding a dead person. But a dead person can't eat. <laughs> they can't digest. The Scripture calls all things that are done in the flesh, including sin, dead works. Whether it's works that are trying to achieve righteousness or whether it's literally a dead work. There's no life in the work. Because the Scripture says that Christ died and when He died, He died once unto sin. When you died, you died once unto sin. You don't keep dying over and over and over and over again. It's not a perpetual death in Christ. It's perpetual life in Christ. But the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I don't frustrate the grace of God. Because if my right standing could have came from the things that I did or that I do, then God sacrificing His own Son for my sin was for nothing. No value to it. Because the law held us hostage to sin. For all sin and have come short of the glory of God. But then it says we're justified freely. We're justified freely. Freely means without charge. That means that you can't pay for your justification that you were freely justified 
by the blood of Jesus. There's a scripture in Hebrews that said that when Jesus was crucified, it says that he himself purged us of our sin and then sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. What I want you to see is it says that he himself purged us. He himself purged us. There's a scripture that says that he himself bore our sickness and carried our diseases. The chastisement, the things that were keeping us from receiving peace was placed upon him. What was the thing that was keeping us from receiving peace? It would be sin. It would be disobedience. Because can you be out of alignment with God and still have peace when He's the one who gives us peace? No, you can't. But because you'll never be out of alignment with God again in Christ, the Scripture says in Isaiah, the rule of His government pertaining to peace, there shall be no end. Which means that you can never be out of alignment with God again. You can't resurrect the old man. He's dead. Christ died once unto sin, and now that He lives, He lives unto God. He Himself purged us. You died once unto sin, and now that you live, you live unto God. So when you sin, if you say that you have no sin, and that you've never sinned, as a born-again believer, you're a liar. You're a liar. <laughs> I only know one that was sinless. His whole walk with the Father, which was Jesus. We don't have an altar. We can have a Walter call for lying. <laughs> if we were depending upon our works, what we did in the flesh, to keep us righteous with God, none of us could remain righteous for very long. We couldn't. And because the church have adopted this mentality of lamb upon lamb, every time you sin, you have to repent in order to be restored. People actually believe that their old man has come back to life again. They're still looking for a way to be delivered that was already made 2,000 years ago. Christ ensured our freedom 2,000 years ago. It wasn't until we came to the knowledge of the Son and we received Him that we walked in the freedom that was already provided. He Himself purged us. That's why Christ is not coming back to die again for another generation because He completed the work with one sacrifice. With one sacrifice, he sat down on the right hand of majesty on high, meaning it's finished. What picture of yourself do you have on the inside? Because when you close your eyes and you think about the Father, if anything that you did in the flesh, being a dead work, comes to your mind, you have the wrong image. You have the wrong image. Because Jesus came to set the captives free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We're living in that acceptable year. An acceptable year means you can't be rejected in an acceptable year of the Lord. 
Our freedom has been ensured. We're not slaves to sin. We actually became slaves of righteousness, as it says. We become servants of righteousness. Not by force. Not by force. Willingly. God esteems our will so much that even at the expense of Jesus, because He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, even at the expense of Jesus, He wouldn't remove the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I asked God one time, because it baffled me, God, if you knew that they were going to eat of the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, why would you put it in the garden? I actually probably was making an accusation to God. You set them up for failure. Because without revelation, that's natural comprehension. (laughs) How else could you see it? You know, I left the stove on and told my kid not to touch it. I set him up for failure. (laughs) You know? And all of a sudden it dawned on me. Thank God for His grace that even in ignorance He can still enlighten our minds. (laughs) And He said unto me, no tree, no choice. And all of a sudden the reality of me yielding my will to God out of choice became real. Same thing. God, why would you leave Satan in the earth? You never put Satan in the earth. The tree was never there. Man, we would all be in paradise today. Same thing, free will. He said, I set before you life and death. And then he says, choose life that you may live. Choose life that you may live. See, Satan was never supposed to be the God of this world. He never was supposed to be. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, have dominion over all the works of my hands. That's what he told Adam and Eve they became subject to a lesser power. Listen to what I say. To a lesser power, not a greater one. Satan isn't greater than than we were. He was a lesser power. They became subject to a lesser power through disobedience. He became the God of this world. He took His wrongful place among humanity as Lord. His wrongful place. Because it was never given to Him. Jesus stripped him of power, of rights, of dominion, and of authority. And he gave it back to his body. Because he said, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He said, I've given you power to trample on snakes and scorpions. You look up that word snake, In the Greek, it actually means Satan. I've given you power to trample on snakes and scorpions to overthrow the power of the enemy so that no harm may come to you. You've been set at an elevated position 
in Christ. Your old man is dead. So even if you sin, it doesn't put you back under the flesh or under Satan's authority. Because Jesus said that my father is the one who gave them to me and no one is strong enough to take out of the father's hand. If you look up that word, no one or no man, it means nothing. Nothing is strong enough. Not just referring to a person, but referring to all things. Nothing is strong enough to snatch out of my father's hand. The life that he gave you is eternal. The life that he gave me is eternal. It's eternal from the moment that we receive him. Otherwise, it couldn't be called eternal life. It would have to be called temporary life until you die. <laughs> but he said, whoever believes on me shall have eternal life. Your life in God is never in jeopardy if your behavior isn't right. That's what you have to understand. Because you'll see yourself through your mistakes instead of through the finished work of Jesus. You'll live in a place of defeat instead of walking in victory despite defeat that's around you. That's why if you sin, why you're sinning, you can say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And your own mind will try to, to bring accusations against you. I've battled with pride as a minister, as a born-again Christian. I've battled with lust as a minister, as a born-again Christian. I've battled with maybe even arrogance as a born-again Christian. Anger for sure as a born-again Christian. But here I am, all these years later, 16, 17 years later, and I'm stronger in the Lord because none of those things define me. He Himself purged us. John writing in 1 John, he said, Beloved, now are you the children of God. He doesn't say then you will be the children of God. He says now are you the children of God. Right now you're God's children. Not when you get your life together. Not when you can walk on water or produce miracles. Not when you know the Bible from front to back. Not when you start memorizing chapters or verses. He said now are you the children of God. Right now. Are we against memorizing chapters and verses? No, <laughs> we're not. But if you think that your Bible memorization is what qualifies you as a child, there's a lot you don't know. <laughs> so does that only make you part of a child? No, it doesn't. Because Jesus said unto the woman at the well of Samaria, He said unto her, If you knew him who was talking to you and the gift of God, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew who was speaking to you and the gift of God, if you knew who was offering you the drink, you would ask of him and he would have given, not sold, 
He would have given you living water. He went on to say, whoever drinks of this water shall never thirst again, but shall have in him a well of water bubbling up unto eternal life. A well of water. I always feel like, well, Lord, I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but the scripture says in Philippians, I think it's chapter 3, verse 1. I'm not 100% sure. But Paul said, uh, again, for me to write these things unto you is not grievous, which in our case would be for me to speak these things unto you is not grievous at all. But for you, it's safe. For me, it's safe. The gospel message doesn't change. I honestly believe the Holy Spirit wants to saturate our ground with so much rain, referring to Himself, the Holy Spirit, that all somebody has to do is touch the ground and it gets on them. I believe He wants to love us like we've never been loved. I'm going to start with verse 18 in the Gospel of John chapter 1. He says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And it says in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus was the express image of God. He was the express image of God. So how did He declare Him? If He was the express image of God, it would be in everything that He said and did. He's declared Him unto us, the Father. Like I said, you're more loved then you know. You're more valuable than you've ever perceived. There's not a price to you. Would you say that anything is more valuable than the blood of Jesus? No. It's the highest price that was ever paid for anything in all of creation. The highest price ever paid was God's own Son. It shows you the importance of choice and choosing because even at the expense of God's own son he wouldn't take away our free will our ability to choose God is the most loving father that I've ever known that creation has ever known alright let's start in verse 1 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Skip down to verse 9. That was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them 
gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you received Jesus? He gave you power simply through receiving him to become something. What? Sons of God. Even to as many as believe upon his name. This performance mentality that tries to come on us in order to receive something from God or like, you know, if, if, if I would study more, if I would dedicate myself more to certain things, then God could use me more. The whole reason why God uses any of us is because of Jesus. He's the main theme in the message. If people start looking to us, that's where strife starts starting. Because people get in pride. And that's where a root of bitterness comes from. And out of that, you know, in strife and that root of bitterness, there's every other evil work. It's what opens the door. When pressure comes on any of us to perform, even to evangelize. Like if you feel like you're not evangelizing enough, so God must not be happy with you, then you're finding your identity in evangelism. When I go over to my parents' house, I'm not trying to find their level of love for me based upon what I've done. Most of the time, I'll go over there and watch TV with the girls, some cartoons. My mom and dad might be taking a nap, or they might get up and you know say hey and go about their business, but I'm just in their house, just spending time. Because there's nothing for me to do, am I under some kind of pressure that they don't love me anymore? Maybe I'm not valuable to them because they didn't ask me to do something. No. No, it's not. We're in the Father's house. We're all children. And humility will let us know that we're not worthy to be used. We never were worthy to be used. That God chooses to use us because He's good, not because we were. That He chooses to bless us because of Jesus, not because of us. That heaven's been made available to us because Jesus fulfilled something, not because we fulfilled something. It's not like God had a need for humanity and it just couldn't be filled. No. God had a love for humanity. And out of what He already had, out of His fullness, He gave to us. Because if you look in the Scripture here, it's in John chapter 1, verse 16. It says, And of His fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. Of His fullness, of God's fullness, have we all received grace that actually brings more grace. Of His fullness, I can receive. And grace, which allows more grace. There will never be a time where any of us are not dependent upon the Lord. 
There should never be a time in any of our lives where we think that we can do something for God because unless He does something through us, everything that we do will be a dead work. It'll be a dead work. Even though we have the newness of life inside of us, even though we've been crucified with Christ, it'll still be a dead work because it won't magnify God. It, at the end of that, always magnifies us. It always puts us in the driver's seat. It does. You ever stand up in front of people and you feel like at a loss? That normally doesn't happen to me. I'm just, I'm just being honest. <laughs> Mark, Val, you guys have anything to say? Anybody else? You got, got anything? Today during worship, God was talking to me about the bride of Christ and his passionate love, specifically to me, but it's for all of us, his passionate love for his bride. And when Steve was talking about the garden and the choice, it became very, very clear that that was not setting us up for failure, but setting us up for the greatest gift of all. Because it's one thing to walk with God in the cool of the day, to be in his presence, to have him give us life, but it's another thing for him to be so trusted that he can come within us. And he said, that's intimacy with the bride. Intimacy is coming to me and not covering yourself with sin. Not covering, you know, not covering up your sin, but exposing it all to me. Because I see it anyway. And still knowing that I love you. And it doesn't stop me from wanting to be so close to you, living so inside you, and coming through you in every single way. I love you. And that's my glory manifested for the world to see the light coming through my, my body, to see me fully flowing and moving and, and connecting with my people to know, have them know how much I love them and, and to know how much I care. I don't know that I can contain that all, you know, right now, but I know that I need it. And I know that we need to know what it means to be a bride of Christ and how awesome it is that he pursued us, that he pursues us, that he never stops loving us. He said, I, you wanted somebody to fight for you. And man himself, you guys can't fight for each other very well. You give up. He said, but I will always fight for you. I have fought for you and won. And I will always hold you close. I feel it would be really good to just soak that in right now, you know? To just soak in that kind of love and that kind of battle that was fought. When I stand in the name of Jesus, he's beginning to show me that that is who I am. That I, not only do I belong to the family on the outside, like extended family, but I'm a part of him. When he said the two are one, that we are one, 
one flesh, one body in Christ. And that name becomes way more powerful and way more effective when I start to realize that's who I am. Amen. That is awesome. Praise God. That is awesome. God is good.